the curator of horror, Chance Forshee here, to tell you about Ghost Eaters. Hey, everybody. My name is Clay McLeod Chapman, and I am the author of Ghost Eaters. Ghost Eaters is all about a haunted drug. Pop a pill, see the dead. But once you start seeing the dead, the dead can see you. That is Ghost Eaters, and it's on shelves September 20th from Quirk Books. Want to get haunted? <laughs> horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from, but most only offer the genre as writers and actors. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment. From idea to product, there are many people behind the scenes, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you, as well as contests, movies, panels, podcasters, and much, much more. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. An agency that sends social workers into the homes of grieving families to impersonate dead loved ones. The kind old woman who saved a teenager's life, but who now finds herself haunted by the weight of a cheated suicide. And the daughter of a candlestick maker as she tries to survive a painful existence after her father's execution for making human chandeliers of drunken cowboys. These stories and more ranging from supernatural to the frighteningly domestic, splatterpunk to the weird and cosmic, stain the pages of Cut to Care, a collection of Little Hurts by Aaron Dryers. These are stories about caring too much in a world that doesn't always care for you back. Also featuring an exclusive introduction by writer-director Mick Garris, creator of Masters of Horror. Cut to Care by Aaron Dries, a collection of Little Hurts out now. I got my class shirt, Clash of the Titans. Oh boy. <laughs> I got ice cream, so I'm like in a happy. Oh, okay, that explains it. You, you are on a you're you're on a sugar high, and you're gonna crash in thirty minutes. Yeah, man. <laughs> What's up, Michael? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, how's it going, man? How are you? I'm uh, I'm surprisingly pretty good, despite um, yeah, I had I usually have a lot of uh, jet lag issues, 
when I fly from like, you know, one uh, side of the country to the other, and I just did that from East Coast to West Coast, but I'm, I'm fine. I'm actually getting sleep and doing what I need to do. And yeah, good shit. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. I can barely, uh, I, I get jet lag without even leaving a time zone. So uh, yeah. And also this background is, is, un, is like not very flattering, but of course I'm in my Airbnb. I have no control over yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I think either. you're fine. Also, I, I like fun. the Clash, the Clash uh, shirt. There you go. I got it from Lisa and Kristoff. I bought it yes- last year. I almost said yesterday. Last year at Steers and Beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, actually, I, you got the good one too. Uh, the gray one, I don't like as much. Uh, but the one, the red and the white, yeah, good stuff. Let's go. You know, like I'm totally down for whatever. I'm like basically, you can consider me some like the guy sitting next to you at the bar and you decide to strike up a conversation. Oh, nice. Um, and he has no filter. I love it. Yep. No it's, filter. I'm it's, over the filter. Insert penis joke. Inappropriate. I, I, I want to see how you react to that. So how do you, <laughs> kind of <laughs> well, there was no reaction on it. Like Reddit didn't have a reaction either. It's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, he's got he's got a filter for me like my wife now so it's fine um how do you pronounce your last name is it seidlinger you got it right yep nailed it um so a lot of people get it wrong it's like seedlinger it's, it's a it's a german uh, it's a german last name even though i'm you know i'm filipino american on my mom's side but my dad happened to be you know german danish whatever some hybrid and i ended up with a german last name that's hard to pronounce what are you eating or drinking? <laughs> he's got ice cream, so he's going to have a case of the uh, sillies now because he's fucking okay. five. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Deadhead Space. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, we are joining with someone that says, anybody home? No, that's the book title. Dumb joke. His name is Michael J. Seidlinger. How are you, Michael? Say hi, sir. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. So let's just dive into it. What got you into horror? So funny enough that like I can pinpoint the exact moment when horror spoke to me and it was, you know, young kid. I can't remember my age. I don't, I just remember it was Jurassic Park. And I remember it being like maybe the T-Rex or no, no, it wasn't the T-Rex. It was the, it was the, that, that, uh, the Lothosaurus. No, the one that spits out the shit. Um, it uh, It was that scene where Newman, the Newman guy was trying to leave. And like, you know, his glasses are gone. He's like, hey, stick, just just, just catch the stick, stupid. You know, and like it was like a small, you know, the Dilophosaurus is a small little uh, dinosaur, but it's severely deadly. And I remember like somehow being incredibly afraid of that. And I mean, my, my, my child mind didn't process it the way I'm explaining it. But I think that was the moment when I, I, I like experienced fear and wondered what it was and why it made me feel the way I felt. And I think just since then I started to gravitate towards all things, you know, 
uh, a horror, um, crime, like just anything that involves deviance, deviant behavior and all that kind of stuff. And it was a gradual step, like, you know, a stepping stones. Cause I remember like, you know, Mortal Kombat and two and like, uh, you know, Resident Evil and Silent Hill and all these other kind of stepping stones for me that were essentially horror in different mediums. Gra- like I gravitated to all of that and it helped me just make sense. I think I was trying to make sense of why I felt that way. So I can then, you know, explore the depths of what that is. And maybe, you know, other people have like far more like direct ways of, of finding horror and falling in love with horror. But for me, it was because I actually got mortally afraid and want to know why. Mm, that's, that's interesting. Um, I don't know a better time to bring up this fact about that. Di- well, not fact theory about dinosaurs, but there was uh, there are some paleontologists that have a theory that the world was more um, the water levels were a lot higher and that since there's so many fossils that uh, it had to be a more swampy and um, basically, I mean, not really ocean, but the world was more water based and mm-hmm. that's why everything's so well preserved and that things as tall as like a T-Rex and, and so on couldn't actually walk on land like we think they are uh, like because i'm I, I want to say that the um practical effects they're amazing but like after hearing that i go hmm, what if we are completely wrong about what they actually yeah. look like so i yeah. heard that and I've, at first i'm like that's fucking dumb but then i listened more to the to the theory and i'm like well i mean i guess that does make sense that we could have so many uh track marks and so many fossils preserved so well so it makes me think of a when we're gone, like, what are we going to leave behind that? And then what, what, whoever or whatever finds our fossils our whatever culture that remains from whatever just finally like wipes us out, um, whether the planet just dies on its own, you know, um, what we're going to be conceived as, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to say, say like 10,000 years ago by I'm curious what actually is going to survive because the mm-hmm. longest in at least America, the longest man-made grand whatever that can last without maintenance is the Hoover Dam. That's like two or three years that it can yep. work on its yep. own. So yep. then you got like, you know, you, imagine if all that remain was like the, the great pyramids and things that were built in the ancient times. Um, have, you heard this, have you heard the, it was a book first, but then it became a, a series, like a document. documentary series i I forget where but it's like way back like i want to say like over a decade ago but there's this book called the world without us and the concept was if we if tomorrow like literally just like tomorrow we all just disappeared how long would it take for this earth to reclaim itself and it goes into depths of like you know everything from like i remember just in my mind like how quickly say new york city just cold goes to shambles and nature comes back the one of the first things that happens in mere hours uh all those subway tunnels they flood with water mm. they're pumping that water out they have those they have machines and they have ways to keep all the subway tunnels in new york city um uh without water but but without someone to help to, to work on keeping that going that gets flooded almost immediately and then let's just it just it explores all of what you're talking about um so yeah you both should check out that like the book if not the series uh i, I want i don't know if it's streaming anywhere but um i remember reading it way way back in the day and being like just completely fascinated by all of it wow that's interesting i'm uh our impermanence is real dude like we you think that like things last forever no no 
I, I work for a wastewater company for my county and um, I'm an instrumentation technician. I work on control systems and, and we uh, we're in charge of like the devices that measure the flow of shit water. And oh uh, yeah. Yep. yep. So, you know, if, if we didn't have that, there'd be shit water backed up everywhere. Um, and just yeah. knowing that behind the scenes stuff, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. We are we are disgusting creatures. <laughs> we are. We we're the we are a stain on this earth. Like we're the like we are destroying so much things. So the the earth would have been better without us. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's it just like saying stuff like that. The the you know the grand scheme of things to just shrink it down to like a world where we all met Twitter, and to think about the stuff that we get caught up in every day when we could be talking about even stuff like this would be really interesting and. I, a, I don't bubble dude we are yeah like twitter twitter's such a small thing but it feels the opposite when you're in it um yeah brennan you got anything to say about this topic or you want to go to you want to leave i, us I agree else? heavy we we uh, the the impermanence is real um <laughs> no I, I think that's really interesting and i was just trying to think if i've ever seen like a uh, you know, a fictional movie or read a book where they deal with like the subway tunnels flooding because once you say it out loud, it's like it makes all the sense. But, uh, you know, it feels like they usually stick to kind of ground level stuff. Um, actually, I want to go back to something you said when we were talking about what got you into horror. Yeah. Um, you said that you kind of used it as a vehicle to learn more about yourself. So what did you learn? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I feel like my child self doesn't remember what I learned, but I did learn that I was fascinated about society, specifically society. And a lot of people get get really fascinated with the psychology of your like the self and like why we think and do the things we do. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I wasn't I didn't I didn't wasn't like a, a, a like bored with that or like not interested in that. It was definitely a factor. But what really what I really gravitated towards was people um not like people like i want friends kind of people know why people are the way they are individually like you know in different kinds of groups just what society is it's essentially the sociology i was like i was definitely always um interested in all of that and then it finally found sociology and it, it started to put names and concepts and philosophies you know like actual science to that um but i think yeah, I mean, flat out, like what I learned, like all throughout all that, the years, like we're kind of like speeding forward um, is that people are the scariest shit of all. Like, you know, people are scary. Like that, that's, 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 that's what scares me the most. Like, uh, is just the fact that like, we were just talking about the, like, we were talking about like, well, how, how quickly uh, this, this planet could reclaim itself, nature could re- reclaim itself and what we did to it. Like we can see all the, like a manifold of things that we've done to a planet to a person to a, a group of people there there's so much horror and fear and, and all kinds of chaos through like what we what we do to each other and i mean i guess there's beauty to to being human and and getting to know people and all that i'm not discounting that but i'm like i think what i learned was that the main fascination of that fear really was at the helm of of what society is and like the concept of all that we can do and do to each other and to ourselves and just like it's it's a never-ending sort of fascination right like when you think you've seen the worst that someone can do or a group of people can do to others you see worse um 
Yeah. And, you know, as, as a horror writer, I, I personally love delving into the supernatural, but I've met a lot of writers who don't feel the need to go there because the amount of stuff to, uh, to write about just the amount of material, just dealing with humans as monsters. I mean, it's, it's absolutely endless. And oh, yeah. obviously <laughs> I was going to yeah. say the book yeah. I just read anybody home, uh, <laughs> you, you know a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. I know a little bit about that book. Yeah. Yep. He sums so, up that book pretty nicely with everything you said, Michael. Yeah. It was a, it was a good segue. We didn't have to do any work. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad it, it just played itself the way it needed to play. Yeah. So I just want to, before you talk about the synopsis, I got to ask, mm -hmm. um, obviously it was intentional, but did you weigh the pros and cons of not having any character names? Yeah. But the, I don't. I didn't care about the cons. I want it to be that way, even if it even if it loses readers. I just wanted it to be that way. It had to be that way based on what I was trying to do with the book. That makes um, sense. Do you want me to talk about like just like the overview of it, or like what what do you want me to at least like kind of do as that segue into that book? Um, uh, a synopsis, and then yeah, really, really, what you think maybe might not be obvious to everyone what you would like readers or potential readers to know. Yeah. So anybody home is an unabashed uh, kind of monologue, but it's sort of like a first second person, as I call it, where a uh, home invader that's done it before and done it well is talking to you, the reader, the new like acolytes, the new um, invader that's trying to do something like with their uh, quote unquote craft really well. And they've turned to, or you've turned as the, as the reader to this, this uh, invader that's have, has all this experience to learn from them and uh, go through the steps from step one to the final step, like the actual end point of a home invasion. And when I say home invasion, I mean like the actual power struggle of the home invasion, not the smash and grab kind of home invasion. The, that's out of desperation. Like that's the people that smash and grab, they're not there to like, but they're not inter usually interested about the power. They're, they're, they're just there because they're desperate as fuck and they want to get that jewelry or whatever it is that they're trying to get. This is about home. In, uh, anybody home is about the home invasions, like the Manson murders, the, you know, like the, the kinds of power struggle, uh, power, uh, boosting um, home invasions. And the book itself is, among other things, exploring the concept of com being complicit to the actual entertainment that we're being entertained by. Like, as you turn those pages and you read that book, if you decide to read Anybody at Home, I want you to be very aware. And ideally, it's happening through the narrative and it's doing this sort of like callback uh, routine through it. Um, why? you keep going. Why, when it makes you feel a certain way, why are you feeling that way? And at the end on, on the final page, why were you entertained? If you weren't, then cool. You know, I get it. Maybe it wasn't for you, but like the point is with horror, with crime, with anything it is, it, outside of genre, anything that we imbibe uh, creatively, you know, creatively as a, as a cultural fragment, 
Um, I, the book is, is, is trying to get you to think about, you know, taking a step back for a second and understand why you're digesting that content and why you're reacting the way you are before just moving on and, and reading something else or watching mm-hmm. something else or playing something else. We live in such a society now, or not society, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a situation now where we're like, there's streaming services of all kinds. And we like basically never have to ever slow down and think about anything. And I wrote this book, among other things, like to explore the reasons why like horror specifically goes through these certain trends. Um, like, uh, and I, I remember I was talking to someone the other day about like torture porn and like why that happened in the early aughts. Um, but like those trends happen for many reasons, but also like, I, I wonder how often do we actually take a step back and, and start to think about um, what these trends kind of, give us or tell us based on like that current like socio-political moment in time um and and then just for to a personal level like when you watch i don't know what's what's recent incantation like when at the end of it why do you did you actually like when you watch it and and finish it and you feel whatever you feel about it did you even like take a second to digest it or did you just go to the next thing and why were you entertained by what is essentially like this found footage film that like threw the whole fucking kitchen sink of all kinds of like, you know, uh, paranormal, um, ritualistic, uh, like horror. Um, so that's what anybody home essentially is trying to do specifically with home invasions, which tends to be one of the, th- one of the types of, uh, horror tropes that really gets under your skin. Mm. Um, you know, I, you talked about torture porn in the early aughts, which, you made specific, I mean, I don't even have to ask. I know that you have references to Saw, um, Saw 1, uh, yep. uh, I think Saw 2, but definitely the first one. And that's, I personally love that series. Um, I can remember in high school the first time, <clears throat> at the time, one of my best friends was describing it to me. And it was totally different than... Cause like back then you don't have your phone, you don't have like a laptop. You you gotta wait until you go home to look yep. on the computer. I miss anyway, that. I miss that. I, shit. I'm just <laughs> describing it to the young listeners, man. You know, I'm a I'm a '90s kid, man. Me too. All, all all three of us are. Yeah, I miss that shit. I actually just finished writing an article for the lineup that's like a horror '90s horror starter kit. And I threw in like threw in obviously Resident Evil. It's sort of like all like not just books. Um, but I threw in like Resident Evil. I threw in. Shit, what did I throw in? Throw in um, the Lair Witch Project, obviously. Goosebumps <laughs> slash Are You Afraid of the Dark? You know, all these kinds of like, like just like very obviously mainstream. The web, back when there was a mainstream, right? Like there's no mainstream anymore, but we, we both, we're all 90s kids here. So we know that there used to be actually mainstream and underground, right? Yes. Yep. There's actually a delineation between the two. Now it's just everything. And, and it is what it is. Um, but yeah, anyway, I don't need to digress there well, when you can film and i'm not knocking it i'm not boosting it it's just it is what it is when you can film something on your your cell phone and and make it look some can make it look as good as like a scorsese film i mean it's uh i don't know it's weird i'm not saying mm-hmm. it's better or worse it's just very strange but um yeah 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 when you talked about tell me if this is spoiling anything major <laughs> i don't think it is but let me know you talked about the bear trap and, and, <laughs> and for, for a second, I'm like, Oh wait, he's making this part of his world. I thought that was fucking cool. Cause for me, oh, yeah. yeah, I love that series. Um, 
Yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, Brennan, um, take us away with whatever angle you want to take us in for anybody home. I want to talk about uh, execution as far as writing, not execution, execution. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you already already kind of mentioned um, and I'm glad to hear you say it because my, you know, the the whole idea of it's kind of a mixture of first and second person. You know, we already touched on the fact uh, the pros and cons and, you know, fuck the cons of uh, (laughs) just numbering characters, essentially. Um, So I'd like to know kind of how you planned out the writing phase of this at what point did it because did it did it grab onto that point of view that voice and you know what kinds of pros did you come up with as far as the characters being just numbered so whenever i come up with something i have to go through a certain sequence of like you know research or whatever like notes and stuff um and one thing i usually do is like an elevator pitch to myself like the association thing that people do, like it's this meets that meets the other thing, whatever. Usually for me, it's three. I always have to, I always like to correlate three. I don't remember the third one, but I, I definitely was funny games meets a sports commentary track meets. I forget that third one now. Um, but the sports commentary track informed what you now see on the page, wherein I was really trying to nest the reader in what is essentially as close to a choose your own adventure video game ish kind of portrayal of a home invasion. Um, because the, and again, the intention of this book was to explore uh, uh, the, the violence uh, complicitness of the reader and the concept of entertainment and, and, and explore the, the home invasion itself. Uh, so it actually happened pretty organically Um Got a lot of, you know, like actual hands-on research of home invasion stuff. Uh, so I basically just mapped out from like essentially the the, the pull-off of a home invasion. Like in the, in the book uh, for listeners, like there is a, towards the beginning, it, it the the narrator, the seasoned home invader kind of explains the, the steps, the main steps of a home invasion. And that became the main steps of the book as well. Like I usually do like a loose outline for anything I'm writing. And with anybody home, I did that. And it was pretty obvious, like, just like, okay, chunk one, chunk two, chunk two, three, four. And that was that. Um, and I wrote it in pretty much like a very like frenetic state. I want to say like two weeks of like Ooh. three, you know, two, 3000 words. And then, you know, mental exhaustion afterwards. I remember, I don't remember what I did to like, you know, pull myself away from it, but it was a fast process. And then I did editing afterwards on my own. And then it just kind of sat in a back burner for like years until clash uh, checked it out on a whim, actually. Now I definitely uh, like to talk about clash, but all right. Now forgive me if I'm stupid, but clash. Good good job. (laughs) Patrick had ice cream before the show. In case (laughs) you can't tell. Um, But uh, I, I thought the setup of chapters was interesting where every mm-hmm. other chapter is numbered and then every other chapter is kind of like a quote. What was kind of the impetus behind that? Oh, just, just being, just, just having fun with structure. I just fucking love structure. Uh, I love like taking a book and I'm going to randomly pick up a book on the stack here, like a book like this, which boss fight books. If you've heard about that series, it's, it's think 33 and a 33 and a third, which is a monograph series. Like every book is about a specific music album. Like, so like there is a book on nine inch nails, um, pretty hate machine. So with boss, it's like an N64 controller though. What's yeah, that? So they did. So this is this, they do the same thing, but with video games and this is gold. I fucking um, love that game. 
But anyway, you're, that's you're a, a kid that's of a the cool. '90s, of course. You <laughs> yeah, right? I own that <laughs> game. It's in my too, living room. Like, yeah, um, I take every book and I like to actually look at the structure of it. A lot of books are just simple, you know, um, and straightforward chapters that that do a linear chapter kind of thing. But then there's all kinds of other books, like David Demchuk's Red X is a great example. I still need to read that. Man, it's fucking great. <laughs> I okay, uh, that might just pressure me into finally, like, you know, getting off my ass and reading it because I have a copy. I just like, there's so many books, man. Oh, um, I get it. We, we, I, we talked about it with David about how he specifically set up um, the look of it because when you walk in a bookstore, you're surrounding your book with other books. So he said, I want mine to stand out. So I just I, felt like that was, yeah, I just thought that was kind of like something worth noting here. No, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's basically so. Like, yeah, to answer the question is like the question was just like I just thought it could cool it'd be cool to do something different to alternate a lot of those those phrases that the, the chapter title the chapter titles that are just like you know phrases they're just they're phrases that every single one of those were was said in some home invasion um, movie that exists. Mm. So I mean, I don't know if people have picked up on that, but that they are all from from. Like, you know, The Strangers, The Funny Games, uh, I See You, you know, like all those. Brennan, cut me off if I can't talk about this. Can't remember if it was mentioned or not. But what do you think about Paul Tremblay's uh, upcoming film? Cabin at the End of the World? Yeah, I think you can talk about that now. They announced that officially. Okay, Okay, good. Yeah. Um, Any thoughts on that? I think it's awesome, isn't it? M. Night Shyamalan, right? Yeah. Yep. No, I mean it's fucking great. I hope that more horror books and authors get their their films, their the books actually adapted, you know, successfully. Um, I don't know anything about it, the actual, you know, what what's going on behind the scenes of the film, obviously, but like, fuck yeah, let's let's see what happens. You know. <laughs> you know what? Like, we all grew up in the same period. Are you? Did you grow up in New York? No, I grew up in like a combination of Northern Virginia. And then I moved at a weird time down to Orlando, Florida. So, but I still, I basically call my like true, the true meat of my childhood slash teenage years were um, Orlando, Florida. Oh, okay. So Disney bullshit capital of fucking tourist hell world. Yeah. yeah sounds awful. Um, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was just going to say that at least for me, like I, I always wanted to write and entertain, but mm-hmm. And I always felt like I hear a lot of writers that tell us that they hit a point when they realize that's a job, but I never thought of it like that. I just, that's something I'm going to do sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. But like when I get old, when I got older, I still, cause it wasn't until high school later in high school where like MySpace came out. And, but even then I was only talking with people that I knew really for the most part. Um, it wasn't until, yeah, it wasn't until only a few, like, 2012 or whatever where i started to talk to writers in different countries but i didn't in the 90s i didn't think like i didn't really know anyone that liked horror and growing up like my mom she didn't really care for it but to spend time with me when i was 12 and older she would watch slasher films with me or horror movies that i bought on tv yeah so that's cool because my mom was super strict and wouldn't let me watch anything so maybe that also informed my 
desire to go into that direction. But yeah, I, I I'm like with you. Like I didn't think that I wasn't being like, I need to know more about horror or you know, like I wasn't labeling it horror. It just was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that I wanted to explore more. Absolutely. And I was just going to say that like nowadays, um, I, like I wanted to also be a filmmaker, Kevin Smith and George Romero are like my two biggest influences from that period of time. But I, I had no fucking clue how I was going to get there because it, it wasn't like it is today. But nowadays, like we all know a bunch of people that have made it and have set kind of mm. without saying it have shown us it's possible for us to achieve that. Um, so I'm real curious because we're kind of going back and forth with like our, our childhood in the nineties. Yeah. And um, nowadays. So I'm, I'm curious if your experience was similar or your thoughts are similar in that regard, like what the possibilities are now compared to what they probably were if we were this age back then, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I can really just riff off the fact that like, I definitely didn't think about it that way. I always wanted to do shit that was like creative and, and whatnot. I didn't even like, I could, couldn't even call myself much of a reader back in the day. Mm. I was, I was very much like that guy that wanted to be like in music and specifically like, hardcore and metal and all that. So like, you know, the era that, that was like my childhood in Orlando, Florida and Florida prevailing um, was like the era of uh, metalcore when it first started to pop off, you know, like kill switch engage and under oath and poison. Mm. Well and, but they didn't actually call it metalcore yet. It was still just starting and around that scene there were a lot of different bands it was heavy metal i think right that they huh i think they just called it like heavy metal they called it like the the new i forgot what it's called like the new metal generation of american heavy metal or something like long at long-winded thing like lamb of god and bands like that Hmm. um but around this there's a very like vibrant scene um all throughout florida florida has a great heavy metal scene they always do and i think it's because a lot of the youth there's just angry you know for obvious reasons <laughs> um but anyway this is my th- I, I swear there's a point to this like it'll, it'll circle back to your question like what you're talking about the 90s and all that but um but I, I like basically was in that world and then when that world no longer was was healthy um just to sum it all up basically yeah it wasn't healthy i ended up like f- going a different route become trying to become a game designer uh, trying to like study sociology you know like i was always like gravitating towards something that in, in its core was like a fascination a creative like pulse um mm-hmm. but when i finally got into books it was all it was totally by accident and i was already you know um in like in, in college uh, at university of central florida and it was really just like am going on amazon and buying a fuck ton of books and like learning like almost giving myself my own like mfa or some shit like i wasn't trying to be a writer i was just fascinated so i like obviously i went from like everything from like the chuck palinuk shit to to house of leaves to um like really experimental stuff like the ulipos which are this european group of authors that wrote books under very methodical constraints um like that jorges perec wrote this book called a void which was quite literally a book that it was a it was a successful crime novel in, in, you know, in terms of like him pulling it off, but the constraint was write the book without using any word that has the letter E in it. <laughs> oh no! Holy and he shit. successfully did it. 
it was like, I was fascinated by that kind of shit. So by the time I even got, you know, kind of came up out of that and was starting to like, you know, end up in like online, you know, like, like, like social media or whatever and try and starting to meet like re- writers and, and all that. I was no longer a child, you know, I wasn't, it was no longer the nineties. So there's really, I don't know. I guess like my answer is like, I don't, that's, that's my answer. Like I, I just kind of all happened. Um, hmm. But there was always a desire to see what, to see something of the creativity, right? Like to create something and do something that at least for a period of time has some lasting effect. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Fame and all that shit and seeing people really make it. I don't really think about it that way. Like, it's cool to see, like, like I know Gabino Iglesias, his book just came out this week and I'm Mm -hmm. just dating the the episode now, but um, like to finally see him blow up is is pretty cool. Cause I've, I knew I've known him since like way back when like Bizarro was a thing. So (laughs) yeah, I walked into a Barnes and Noble yesterday and picked this thing up and it was just, you know, it, it sounds so cheesy and so stupid, but it's like, I felt proud because yeah, I yeah. have known him for like three years and, you know, super nice guy. Nobody works harder. And to see his book, you know, just be available in like every town across Everyone. the map, like awesome. Yeah. And, and hardcover too. Yeah. 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 Yep. I get to talk with him. Uh, I, my stop in Austin, it's going to be at book people and uh, he's going to be like chatting with me. So that's going to be fun. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That dude's like the dude's, yeah, I do. That works out. He, he, he knows his stuff in terms of working out. <laughs> I met him last year and I'm pretty sure I said, you're, you're built like a fucking tree, man. <laughs> just, I'm sure he gets that all the time. Um, just would not want to piss you off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I work out too, but I don't build that way. Like I can't, I, I just couldn't keep up that, that uh, I couldn't eat enough to like keep the muscle going, you know, like it would just shrink back down. Uh, <laughs> You do. You have to eat so much. It's like the average, I guess, dude has to like the male, just like regular male, like the most average of the average needs 2000 calories. And, but if you're, if you're, if you have that muscle and you're trying to build even more, I know it's like sometimes double that on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, So in your uh, mentions at the end of the book, your acknowledgements, man, I'm going to butcher his last name. So I'm just going to mention one of his book titles, Ill Will, Dan, uh, Sean. And is it, is it, I think it's pronounced sh- like almost like Sean. Okay. Sean, like the, the male, like the Sean. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm curious if there's any connection there, if he was, uh, or perhaps if he was an influence um, to you. Well, I loved, I loved Ill Will. Um, I just reached out to him like when I like as anyone ever does when a book that they're now about to put out they're like okay I gotta get some blurbs uh, and then you kind of like come up with a list of names and there's a lot of holy grail names in there and you're like oh and I just basically asked everyone because I was like fuck it I might as well try and he was a holy grail one and he responded saying he would yeah he'd take a look and um it was really he's he's very kind like that guy rules like i I mean i've never met him in person but like he would dm me like almost progress like you know like like progress reports at times like saying like (laughs) i started reading it it's sinister voice um he he it's cool to be able to mention it because i don't think i've ever mentioned anyone um but like he would tell me that his his whole family has read it at this point. Like his his sons, holy shit, took the, took the galley and started reading it after he read it. High five! <laughs> I know, right? 
Boom. Um, that was great. Like, see, he blurbed it and he loved it. And like, he's been a supporter of the book and it's awesome to see, and, you know, cause he's someone that I've like admired just as like, you know, he, his book, he writes in like no one else. Like I, 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 I highly respect anyone that is able to create like a voice that is truly their own and just runs with it and like creates their own sort of style. And he's, he's one of those authors. Um, and to, to just to, to, to get that response is awesome. Did you happen to meet Mark Saber at um, Scares of Care? He has a booth. I, that... have not, I don't think I have. I, if I did, I probably knew him. I met him as Mark and didn't get his last name. I'm bad with names. Like I'm good with faces, bad with names, but it doesn't work when you can't connect the two. Right. And like, be like, <laughs> oh, I, oh man, there's been times where I was like, you were just talking to like some huge deal, like, you know, like some big, like hotshot person. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. They were, <laughs> they were a little awkward, but they're a little cool. But you know, that, that's like my like go-to like failure. <laughs> um, So failure. At, at Scares of Care, he uh, has this booth where it's just, it's like a reader's dream. I spent most of my money on his booth. Uh, he, he, he writes, but he, um he has like pretty much any, author that you want in in his oh. he's got paperbacks that are really cheaply priced oh uh, he was is he the one with the shelves and all these cool like oh, oh yeah okay. that's okay. him hey, i that's... looked through but i didn't buy any because i just i knew that i was like if i start buying i had to have this like go kind of back in the minds like back of the mind sort of like rule to myself at conference any kind of conference or show or any kind of any one of those things is like the moment i start buying a like even a single book it's like floodgates man oh yeah like oh shit now i got this stack so like it scares the care i've only been once i went to AuthorCon this last one and it was cool it was really awesome i was able to like you know actually meet josh mallerman and todd Mm -hmm. keys the first time and even brian Keane. all nice nice awesome guys and amazing writers um uh, uh where was i going oh yeah but i saw that that i kind of looked at the shelves i was like shit i can't i can't do this and i walked i just kept walking and i didn't buy any book i didn't really buy me very many books i don't think i think i did like book trades mm. you know and like and and i think like clash had maybe like two dozen galley like copies of anybody home and and i'm but like unfortunately those shit like thankfully they went fast but like i remember swiping a couple and being like all right i'm gonna trade these people <laughs> I bring them up because well, I bought some. I bought a Peter Blatty, uh, Robert Block, um, Poppy Z. Bright, a bunch of other. Stuff. Oh, Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, now there's a for me that's a legendary name right there, like Exquisite Corpse. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that might have been the one I got, and I got this Joe Lansdale, which is for Ooh. audio listeners. It's um, it's a Batman uh, like comic. It's I know. I never seen a book. that before, actually. Yeah, if I ever get to meet Joe in person, I'm absolutely gonna ask him to sign it. Um, he seems pretty damn awesome as like a person. Like, I, I feel like he, he's amazing. Like, he's an amazing writer. Like I mean, like, you know, like, you always, always, there's always that conversation of like the writer and the and the work, their work. There's do they correlate? Blah blah blah. Um, it's cool to see when both are awesome. Yeah, he is. I won't speak for Brandon because he's he can jump in if he wants, but Joe is one of my biggest in my 30s he's one of the biggest influences on me as a writer as an anthologist as a person and uh all around he's someone that embraces his fans he's a really he's prolific as fuck like he's as prolific as king only and i think oh yeah yeah 
he's he I know he's thankful for this, but only he's not he he can actually go to like a fucking Kmart or whatever and not get mobbed. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wonder what what goes on in Stephen King's mind. Like, I know that he's maybe one of the few that hasn't let it get to his head, which is shocking because he's so, he's so successful. Like he seems like he's someone who hasn't let it get to his head. Uh, I, I maybe he's the exact opposite. I don't fucking know. I've never met him. Probably will never meet him. Um, but yeah, how how would you live that way? Like it would just, dude. I'm already such a homebody. Like, dude, I, I'm here in LA for this thing for this this reading, and like I got here a little early because of the jet lag thing. I wanted to like you know get through it. Blah blah blah. Outside of going to going to get grab something to eat with a friend last night, I haven't done shit. I, I mean, I've been working heavily in my Airbnb, but I have haven't really left it just to go for a walk, whatever, and a run and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm like such a homebody that if I were, if there's even iota of like being spotted, it would just send me even deeper into it. I'll just be like, yeah, I haven't left my apartment in three and a half weeks, then I'm completely fine. I'm I'm very her- hermit like for sure. I, totally and I, see, I can see why those some of those celebrities become that way. I can totally see it. Probably, yeah. Joe said he's he he's um in Italy. Uh, he lives in Italy. A, no, no, no. He Joe Joe's in East Texas, but um he's got a massive fan base in Italy, and uh he he said it's pretty cool for like a few days to a week, but after a while, I wouldn't like it because drains uh, you. Yeah, I mean, if, um, it, if it doesn't drain you, then maybe your ego is too big, you know? I don't know. <laughs> For sure. But I brought up Mark Saber because he um, actually got a copy of Ill Will from him, and uh, I still haven't read it because, like you said, so many good signs. No, I wish. Yeah. Is it a hardcover? Yeah. Oh, you got the hardcover. That's good. Yeah. My biggest one of my biggest like uh, there are a lot of them, but like I usually get like a lot. So one of my like day gig is is, is a freelancer uh writing articles and all that stuff and a lot you, as a result you get a lot when one of your beats is publishing you get a lot of free you know galleys and stuff and i remember way back in the day i was like about to move from my i think it was maybe from baltimore out into somewhere else so i was moving soon and i had to get rid of a lot of books and i had a hardcover of ill will hmm. and i gave it to a friend or someone or gave it away and you know i have a paperback now but it's not the same you know like they were like it's all beat up and shit um yeah, that was that was not fun. I, I look back and be like, God damn it, why didn't I just like find extra space in that box or <laughs> that in there? You know, I was like, I will, I'll because I read the galley, right? And I loved it, but I was like, I'll get, you know, someday I'll go back and get like my copy for the shelf or whatever. And because uh, hardcovers are huge and they take a lot, a lot of space. That was my like methodology back at that back then. But I def- it's definitely one of those books that you kind of like. We all have those, right? We get rid of them, and then we end up getting them again, and then and like regretting that we got rid of them in the first place. Absolutely. Oh, and uh, I don't know if you read this. Brennan actually showed me earlier, but Scares of Cares and it's all done. Like they're not having any others. They'll have AuthorCon, but not. A- I thought they had another one, right? They have another one coming up. They just had one. AuthorCon's still a thing. Oh, but scares. Uh, it just said that like funds are basically. Uh, it sounds like it's not feasible because funds are too high now. Um, I can. I guess I can see that. Uh, as long as they're still doing at least one of the two. Um, yeah, I mean, they said that they're doing authorcon still. Brandon, I've been talking a lot. Why don't you jump in, man? Yeah, that's no problem. Um, I mean, if 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 you want more details than. Patrick and I are trying to remember off the top of our heads. I think you can look at like Joe Ripple's Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and it has a big statement about why they're doing it. Uh, and, and yeah, they are going to continue doing author con. Um, 
Michael, so you you mentioned a couple times offhand, you said you're in L.A. now. Um, yeah. You're going to be in Austin with Gabino yeah. on August 8th. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I want to know a little bit about what it's like to do a book tour, but I also want to highlight, because this is coming out on August 16th, and you've got a couple yeah. dates on and after that. So let's highlight those in case people are listening to this and, you know, you're in their neck of the woods. So um, August 16th, you are in Boston. Boston, uh, yeah. At the Trident Booksellers and Cafe with Eric LaRocca. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. August 18th, uh, New York City at the Strand with Rob Hart. Mm -hmm. uh, August 25th, you're in Miami, Books and Books with Zinni Rocklin. Uh, October 6th, you are in Seattle at Third Place Books with Sadie Hartman. Uh, and then October 15th, you are at the Merrimack Halloween Book Festival. And uh, I may see you there because I am planning on going. Right. But awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, that's gonna be fun. I've never been to Merrimack, but I hear good things. It's like, I just like this cool, like, just like, it's all things horror. And it's like one, it's a one day, like, smash, you know, extravaganza. Yeah, yeah. it's free. So, what, so what's it like to be on a book tour? That's got to be kind of larger than life. Um, it hasn't hit me as reality. Um, but I don't know if reality ever hits me. So <laughs> I think I just kind of win. I think I just I do what I do with everything else in life. I just focus on what I know I'm good at, like what I care about, and everything else I just wing it and hope for the best. So I'm kind of doing that with the tour. Um, but so far so good. Like nothing's actually. I haven't done a, one of the events yet. The first one's tomorrow um, at Book Soup uh, with uh, Brian Asman. It was supposed to be Nick Antosco, but Nick is filming something for peacock a series for peacock and someone on set in georgia tested positive for covid so they like got delayed and it was just, it was actually quite stressful like uh because i went through numerous different like fill-ins before I, I went to brian i was just like who's been great like that he fucking blurred the book and has been so supportive of the book and he this book man fuck this house is hilariously awesome and i've heard it was funny yeah and he's he, he's a character for sure, like through and through. But I like DM'd him in like 15 minutes. He said, yes, he, he just like saved my ass. But that was <laughs> after like going back and forth with like, uh, like Nick's been great too. He's been very apologetic about it. And he's like an amazing director, amazing writer. But like he, he, he literally like he's just like been trying his best to try to get back to it, like to get back to being the host. And at the end of the day, it was just sort of like I had to do a judgment call and be like, all right, can I? I need to ask a third person. I, I, I can't, I, both my, my initial host and the first plan B got COVID <laughs> and I was just like, and then Nick came back saying that he's actually flying into today into LA and he could still do it. But that was after Brian said, yes. So it was like a <laughs> nightmare kind of thing. And I'm like, nah, man, like it's going to be a fun event. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate both Brian and also, you know, Nick for like really like coming through and trying to like really be a part of it. But that's an example, actually, of the tour, tour, tour stress, it, especially now in this day and age. You know, you got COVID that's having another, you know, breakout, like another variance floating around. And then you've got, I guess, monkeypox is starting to be a thing for real. Um, I don't know. I just mask up. I wing it, um, do the event, try not to get drunk at the after thing, whatever we do after the event and just go to the next event. And then while, that, while I'm doing that, I have to write a fuck ton of articles to, to pay the bills and I'm starting another book uh, in the middle of the month. So I'm doing research on that. After we finish talking, I'm basically going to like uh, Uber eat some food and, and do some research for the next book. So like nothing changes. It just happens. Now I'm nomadic, you know. <laughs>
Brennan. Oh, sorry, man. I thought you 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 did this kind of laugh. I thought you were going to jump in on that. <laughs> um, you know what? Research is something I wanted to talk about anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, you 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 mentioned uh, that you had done a fair bit of it for anybody home. Now you're on it to the next one. Um, how vital a part of your process is it? And it, it sounds like you do most of it before you even start. You know, the writing phase. Yeah, I mean, it varies per book, but. Um... I have to, so things I need before I can start a book, I need, I have like, I usually have a document that's like a very fledged, uh, fleshed out sort of notes document. And I need to, um, kind of have an outline and not, when I mean outline, I don't mean like I'm writing out what's going to happen. It's literally quite like number of chapters per number of sections, sort of like an actual structure that I can play in. Um, I need to know the ba basics and some specifics to the book. Like I, I need to have a title. I need to create a fake mock-up cover that usually 99% of the time never becomes the actual book cover, but I need something to visualize. Uh, it's almost like a, a visual board kind of thing. I need to have that. Remember I mentioned the elevator pitch thing. I need to have that. I need to write a synopsis that would like, theoretically be a back cover of the book kind of synopsis just to like help me, help me like explain it to myself uh, in a very concrete language. Um, yeah. Once I have all that, I then, um, have like a, a day or two right before I start where I just start to generate my own sort of mood board where it's usually like a stack of books that may not even have anything to do with the actual book that I'm writing. I kind of take them and I kind of read chapters from them. And if it's movies and music, I do that too. Anything that's vibing off of what I want to write. And then I start um, with anybody home. I did that for sure. Um, and then of course I had a lot of I mean, I've already mentioned it in another podcast and I've mentioned in articles and that I've had to write for this story. So I'll mention it here. Like I, I, when I was living in Florida, a period of time, I had a homeless period, a period of time of homelessness. And through that, there was a point of desperation where I was amongst a group of band members, um, all of us desperate trying to like make ends meet. So, uh, and, and we ended up casing a house and, and, not pulling off the home invasion, thankfully, but getting pretty goddamn close. Like we did it all. We, you know, we watched, we, we tested the, the situations. We did all that, like a lot of stuff that happened in that, that in the book that, that I'm talking about is a lot of applied uh, research, if you want to call. How much but anxiety did that have? What? How much anxiety did you have throughout the whole thing? It wasn't even anxiety, man. It was like, mm -hmm. if you, you get to a point where you're so desperate and in that despair that it's a ton it's tunnel vision it's doing this doing this doing this doing this did that now i need to do this do this do this do this did that need this it's like literally just a, it's it's it you don't have the luxury of thinking ahead it's mm -hmm. it's quite literally can i eat today what needs to be done to make sure that not only can i eat but get to the next step in this case we were yeah, we were like in a, we were in a band that we were trying to get our shit together, but none of us really like uh, had steady jobs. So we did day shit, day gig shit. Went on Craigslist and like moved, helped move a house on a, you know one day, and then the next day we find some other random ad looking for people that would just be like like the grunts at some construction yard where you just pick up the scraps that they throw to the side. Like we got to a point where we were doing that and we needed to do more. So we, you know, gambled via poker and 
we're with when, when you're doing that even if you're good you still end up losing money that you end up gaining you know like you go it's a back and forth it's a steady back and forth so we did that for a bit we, we you know boxed and and tried to to bet on boxing and then kind of tried to pick pockets in downtown disney um and then it got it got darker and then as it got darker we started thinking about let's go to windermere florida and start looking at possible houses to this is this is not about like this the power kind of home invasion it was very much a, a desperation uh, kind of thing. So we wanted to break in and steal shit, you know. And the yeah, idea was that house was not supposed to be inhabited at that point in time. They're supposed to be uh, on vacation. Um, hmm. Man, I just feel sorry for you guys. That that sucks. It, was, it happened. I mean, like that's that's part of the past, you know. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in a much better place now. Seriously, I am too. Seriously, yeah. I mean. <laughs> No one wants to be in that shit. Yeah. No, no matter how glamorous any kind of like book or movie makes it out to be, it's not none of that shit. No one should ever have to feel that kind of despair. I really think it sucks that so many people are that poor. Um, I mean, I'm still poor. I'm not. I'm not like flush with any money. Like, there's definitely a, a day, you know, a month to month kind of thing. But at least I can pay my bills now. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Brennan, I am having a brain fart. I forgot where I was going. Do you happen to remember? I wanted to make sure that we uh, we touched on working with Clash because you mentioned uh, yep, that you had yep. finished this this book and it sat for a little bit until you yeah. kind of got hooked up with them. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I've actually known uh, Christoph and Lisa of Clash for a while, like from back in like 2015 or even a little bit before that. Um, so like they had read a couple of my other books. Uh, I think um, Lisa, Lisa definitely mentions my pet serial killer being one that she liked. Anyway, so they reached out to me with an idea for a book. They actually pitched me for an idea. Sorry, I'm like the, the water. Um, <laughs> it's all good. I remember right around uh, lockdown, uh, 2020, COVID, um, we got on a Zoom call, much like what we're doing here. And they started talking to me about this idea for a book that they wanted me to write. And I, of course, said yes. And it was really flattering and humbling. And throughout our conversation, I just randomly mentioned that I had a, a back burner book that had been just sitting there for a while and anybody home. Uh, and uh, kind of like impromptu pitched it to Christoph, and he said, "Yes, yeah, send it my way." And a couple of weeks later, he uh, tweeted, he like subtweeted me saying that it's like fucked up to be like lock in lockdown reading a home invasion book. It's really you know like in his, I forget what the term, the wording was, but he basically did that and thinking that I'd see it, and I of course I did see it, liked it, and I, and then like minutes later in my DMs, he's like, "Yeah, that's that that's your book. Yeah, I definitely want to do this." Um, so, and then that was that, but it sat around for a while. Like I wrote it way 2015, maybe 20, 2016, somewhere, maybe a little bit, like somewhere in that pocket of time. I'm no longer sure. My sense of time is <laughs> bad. names and time, but in terms of memory, memory problems. Um, but yeah, it sat there for a while. Cause I didn't think it was any good. It was definitely much a book that at least I think I achieved what I was intending on doing, but I couldn't really make sense of whether or not, like, I didn't know who the fuck would want to like publish it. Right. Like something like that. It, 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 I looked at it as like, it's, it's like risky or not even like something you can hold uh, that. So I didn't even know, know to, who to show it to. Um, and then just on a whim, I decided to pitch it to, you know, the, 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 it was, a, it was a really fun zoom and I felt very like, 
flattered and i just asked him if he wanted to if he wanted to check it out and there we go the rest is what we're you know now we're here um yeah that's funny there's so many authors that say like like literally last episode Gwendolyn Kais she said that about her upcoming book (laughs) she She said that about her book too Uh yeah it's pretty common man we are we as we as creators writers artists we think we may know that we have something huge and 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 know what we were creating and yeah to an extent when you're writing it you do know what you're doing uh, you have to, otherwise you wouldn't be able to finish it. Uh, but you're your worst judge of like character of your own books. Like you never know which book's going to hit and you never know which book's good and bad. You know, it's, if anything, that anybody home is also that for me. It's like, I didn't think it was any good. And at least some people think it's good, you know? So it's just like, did not expect that. I'm like <laughs> shit. So it's, it is a lesson for sure. And it's like, I think it's something that like, most of us are always going to probably have to learn and relearn over and over again. Mm. And, and another thing that we've heard, you know, that several people say is it's never a bad thing to always have something in your back pocket to you oh, know, yep. Yep. Have, have a novel, no, novella or two, just kind of in just in case for a rainy day. <laughs> it's fun to have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good feeling to have, you know, like to have some back pocket stuff. Yeah. So you you mentioned earlier that Clash is, you know, you've worked with a lot of different publishers and Clash is one of the best. So what is it about Lisa and Christoph and, you know, the way they've kind of handled either this book or, you know, the one that they were pitching you that really kind of sets them apart? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what they do well is that they, even when they fuck up, because everyone fucks up, right? Like, say that you miss a deadline, or in the case of like the net galley, we I, I just think of one specific situation. We fucked up with the net galley version of the of anybody home. It had like a severe amount of um, typo. Like, there was some weird thing where like the I's and the F's were like disappearing or something. So everyone like no one could read it. Like when they had when they're faced with that kind of shit, bigger, big or small, they've been able to pick up, you know, pick up the slack and uh, fi- figure it out pretty, pretty, pretty well, you know, without too much of a hesitation. And I think what they've been, like, what makes them so important, like you know, just for the for 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 books, for the in- specifically the indies and for horror, is that they are willing to take the risks that like many others won't do. And they also now, you know, they have the a distributor and they have the means of being able to really give that book as much as it deserves. And a lot of indies, um, even when they try, like they are limited by a lot of what they, like what, like even like a, a, a night fire or a tour and, any big house, big publishing house has like a lot of us don't, you know, but clash is starting to, and they're really, I guess that's my long winded way of saying it's like one thing that really is like they've shown up to is knowing what they need for that particular model so that they can continue to grow and being willing, being, being uh, able to not only grow while also taking risks and continuing to take risks. And also like, there's just, there, there's like this pulse about what they're doing where like, you can tell they actually give a shit like a hundred, 150%. And they're picking up books that like sometimes, hence they're called clash books. That's what, that's kind of what they're trying. That's why they're called clash books. They pick up horror, but then they also pick like a, pick up a poetry collection. They pick up this and this and that it's like all over the place. But the unifying theme is that these are like kind of very like, 
edgy in a good way kind of books you know like books that just are like fuck you i'm this is what i wanted it to be like the right every writer that's like writes a book for clash or ends up publishing a book with clash they were writing a book that wasn't written specifically for like a mainstream market to use a 90s term to go full circle here now uh, um the, like i didn't write anybody home like trying to appease a certain crowd it was it was very much a challenge a challenge to myself you know uh, Elle Nash's gag reflex, which is like live journal uh, entries. She wrote that because she wanted to write it that way. Right. Like she wasn't exactly saying, oh, and this needs to be super fucking accessible to us, like to get a max amount of readers. There's something about that, too. And a lot of indies do that. But like Clash seems like they own that, you know? Yeah, I, I would definitely say on top of that, I would kind of say they go for the more uh, transgressive and experimental yep. story. Um and you know, I think the first Clash author we had on—I could be wrong, but I feel like it was Duvay Knox. Uh, Pussy. Oh Pussy. yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Lisa, oh, man. Lisa yeah. was the very first person to ever ask me for a blurb for that book, and I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Uh, I just I'm sure I haven't seen the episode, but now I need to go back and watch it and or listen to it uh, or both. I don't know, but um, he's that guy's great. I haven't like been in touch with him in a while, but I remember like. He randomly sent me a couple cigars because he, he discovered that I was also a cigar smoker. Right. It, no, that guy, that guy, that guy's lives. That guy has seen some shit. Like you can always tell when someone has been through some stuff because they like kind of hold themselves a little bit differently. There's like a they're a little bit more comfortable in their skin. Like he's definitely one of those guys for sure. Yeah. Something interesting that we learned about was that he he had an opportunity as a stand-up comedian to really break out. He's or... a stand-up comedian? I didn't know that. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> awesome. Came out of his mouth, man. <laughs> but he had a chance to really have a good opportunity to do more things that would have probably been, that would have launched his career into, you know, that hemisphere that oh yeah, you know, well, dream about. He wasn't willing to basically it, putting words in his mouth but basically uh lose dignity his dignity for for reaching that next level and i mean that was really respectable um he's just a really chill guy and speaking of cigars you can appreciate this the small window of time when americans were allowed to go to cuba was on my when I turned 30 and my wife bought uh, tickets for a cruise and one stop was Havana, Cuba. And we went there for a day and I got cigars for my dad and some for myself. Cause he's, uh, he, he loves cigars. And I, when I see him, I'm like, Hey, got you surprise. It's like three or four cigars and a <clears throat> Cuban um, cigar holder. And he's like, Oh, thanks. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, I got Cuban cigars rolled by Cubans. Supposedly, that's Fidel Castro's favorite kind. Like, uh, this, you should be having some kind of reaction beyond a, like a very monotone. So I just thought that was funny. I still got one in my house, but it's probably not. Oh, uh, unless you put them in the humidor. Yeah. yeah. That, that's going to be like smoking paper. You know, yeah. it's not. <laughs> It's gonna be dry. Yeah, I'm 33 That's now. Pretty so. fucking cool. I haven't actually <laughs> smoked in a while. I need to, I, on my tour. I'm definitely gonna smoke at least one cigar. I just I, I I just like I've been like busy with shit and like I used to smoke at least one a week. I do miss. Mm. I, I mentioned uh, you know kick. There's something really fun 
about just being able to spend an hour like i usually like associate smoking with also reading and all that stuff i'll sit there and like read a book or whatever hmm. maybe sip some scotch or something like that class yeah. a yeah uh i need to do that this month somewhere nice um sure. the other neat thing was that it was in inside of a uh fort that was facing the ocean and that was for that that went back like uh two or three centuries um, it's something to do with the Spanish shot, uh, man. I really wish I remember it, but yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, yeah, let's jump to what are you currently reading? Well, I already held it up. If I'm it's uh boss fight books, golden eye 007 by Alice Knorr. Um, so yeah, I guess I can uh, repitch the boss fight books, um, series. So each book is about a video game. Um, like one of my some of my favorites is like Silent Hill 2. There's a volume on Silent Hill 2, which is mm. great. Resident Evil, Super Mario Brothers 3, Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. Yeah, so GoldenEye 007, they all vary. Really. Some of them are a little bit more personal, like react. Uh, they, they do a little bit of research, but they also talk about like the, the author's um, experience with the game and also sort of like riffing on their own experiences. GoldenEye 007 is, is very much a deep dive into the, the development. Um, Pro, like the whole development of the game and it's shocking enough like this the, i know that you both like are fans of the game like who isn't right if you're a 90s kid yeah um, this game had quite the development i mean not finished yet i'm only like on page like 50 something but like the rare development studio who like they're famous for like killer instinct and Do Do donkey kong country and like being really very close to nintendo during that mm -hmm. era they were a small team. They were pretty small. And like they didn't, when they were developing this game, they didn't even know that Nintendo 64, they didn't, they weren't sure what Nintendo 64's um, final specs. They weren't aware that there was an analog stick or any of that. They didn't know what the controller was. They had, oh yeah. That, that came out in 95, right? Or yeah, 96. Well, 90, it was delayed. 97. I think it was like 97. Yeah. 97. Is it 97? Because I thought N64 came out in 95. That, that got, yeah, N64 came out in 96. And I thought oh, okay. like this came out like the game came out like maybe a year, year and a half later. It okay. definitely got delayed a bit because, of course, you have to, if you want your game to come out around launch, you have like two, three years, sometimes four years of a development cycle. You need to be at work already. But like there are so many of those kinds of situations where things just weren't working out. Um, What's the publisher again? Uh, Boss Fight Books. Boss fight books. Yeah, it sounds amazing. We um we had a guest on that he was a composer, a media composer, and I wanted him on because he worked on um Turok 2 Seeds of Evil. He worked That's on game. Yeah, yeah that, that was my first M-rated game that I ever bought when I was 12, again with my mother. Um, and I got it at Toys R Us. <laughs> nice, yeah, <laughs> which doesn't exist anymore, really. <laughs> Remember the, remember, I love the walking down the uh, video game aisle with the little flaps of like, you didn't, when you bought, when you bought a game at Toys R Us back in the day, you had like essentially a wall of pictures, like little yes. plastic laminated covers of each game. And then you flip them up or, oh no, 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 you didn't flip them up. You can flip them up to read the back, but underneath each of those pictures, 
those laminated pictures are like little slips and like you know the, the kind of the inventory of the games and you pick up one of those slips and you'd have to go rent go to the register front register and then they have this like far corner where they had all the games i remember just like that specific experience of like having the actual you know slip and then they give you like your receipt and you have to walk over and like get your game and you finally get it and it's like pristine because they just like went from box to shelf there right yeah, like, no, yeah, one's, yeah. Like, no one's like picked them off the shelf and look at them and put them back that was always fun and magical so like absolutely yeah oh i'm, um, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge video game nerd like you, you you don't even know man like I have all the retro consoles and I've like modded them the fuck out. So like there are these things called uh, optical disc emulators. So like, for example, Sega Dreamcast or PlayStation one, the disc drives, they'll die over time, right? You replace them with essentially a device that emulates the disc drive, but it reads from an SD card. So you can dump every single goddamn game. That so you got so much more data. That is brilliant. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, you know what? I'm just going to pitch it while we're on air. Nelson Everhart is that composer. He, he's that was a fun episode because Brennan and him got to nerd out about music and I got to nerd out with him about uh, he, he did games for acclaim. Um, he also did. Uh, um, God damn it. Brennan, what's that basketball game? Uh, jam. NBA, NBA jam. No, no, no. NBA jam where he played with that bassist that you like. Oh, God damn it. He had some really cool jazz name, man. You don't remember. <laughs> He did commentary for NBA Jam. Okay, it doesn't fucking matter. The other oh, one, I I know who you're talking about, but I also forgot his name again. Bad with names, but like NBA yeah. Jam, you know, Boom Shakalaka guy. Mm, I don't know. And well, then you know, he, that's that big famous phrase from NBA Jam, right? Boom Shakalaka. I know who you're talking about. I don't know if that was his voice, so I can't. Oh, okay. I, I yeah. can't recall. The other one that you might like of ours is uh, really fascinating because one of my favorite games of all time is Half Life. Um, good game, very good. And yeah, we had uh, we had the guy that pretty much redefined what the original content was supposed to be, Mark Laidlaw, and he's like he's pretty much a driving force of Half Life, Half Life Two, and I think it's the first two, episode one and episode two. Um, when he first talked with me, he's like. Dude, I don't want to talk about Half Life. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. Thirty years, thirty years of people asking about that fucking game. I'm like, I'm not gonna bring it up. You get tired. Yeah, it's you like brought- it's like a, it's like a musician. It's like any band that has a hit song at all. They have to play it so often. You know. He he brought it up though. So we, I'm just throwing that out there for you or anyone else that loves video games. Yeah. Um, what would you do if anybody home or anything you wrote like, what? Would you want to not talk about it or because there's a fine line where if something's so beloved that you kind of get pigeonholed, but at the same time, like you just don't want to come off like a dick to your fans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what would if you're ever in that position, how do you think you'd react to that? I mean, like I can only react to it as I am currently like, you know, we everyone changes, right? Like, sure. But. I would have to talk about it, you know, like, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like if anyone has a response to anything like that, like, and they want to talk about it, I'm going to talk to them about it, you know, and I feel like if they, I feel like there's, there's a cool connection that happens with like someone who wrote something or created something and then someone who reacts to, is able to like get something out of it. Um, there's a lot to be said about that. And that's honestly what 
I think most of us are trying to do right. Like mm-hmm. we want that to happen. So like at the very least, I I would gladly, you know, even if I'm tired, hasn't like completely exhausted and tired of talking about the book or whatever it is, you know, that I'm taught that we talk about, uh, I will have to pull it together. You know, um, when we had Peter Straub on, we, I talked about Coco and that's a huge in- influence on me and his eyes like lit up and um, it was really cool in that moment just to see him talk about it. And he wrote that, I, th- I want to say, hmm, early 80s. I can't remember the exact date, but just to kind of kind of piggyback off your point, I'm sure he's talked yeah. to death about that book. Um, oh, I bet, man. I can only imagine. Brendan, what are you currently reading? I am most of the way through uh, Josh Mallerman's new one, Daphne, that comes out in, I think, September. Ooh, and nice. it's, it's yeah. awesome. It's really cool. It sounds good. Um, so... For the most part, it's 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 got this almost basic plot with like, you know, kind of small town urban legend of this person who was bullied and killed and, you know, now comes back and haunts almost and murders the teenagers. But it, it kind of delves into the idea of um, anxiety as a tangible thing of uh, being able to kind of bring things to life by thinking about them by imagining them and i mean it's malamin so it takes these ideas (laughs) and it just riffs on them and builds them um into these like structures it's it's one of my favorites that i've read from him in a while honestly oh that Um, makes me even more hype about it because it's it's cool I get it remember right it scares the care i was like do you have galleys of those the the, the book yet he's like sorry i don't have them yet but (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's it's a really good one so I'm actually starting this tomorrow, but um, Face the Night, uh, it's a clear. It's yeah, <laughs> Face the Night by Alan Lestufka. I really don't know if I said his last name right. I'm hoping I did, but uh, anyways, uh, it's there's a Stephen King blurb, and there's just it, it sounded like something I'd uh be interested in, and honestly. I only remember that it had something to do with like a comparison to Stranger Things. So I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where can people follow you, Michael? I am on Twitter and Instagram, not really on Facebook. Just look up my name. Uh, Easy to find. Yeah. Don't fuck up his last name, people. Oh, if you fuck it up, I would understand unless I don't like you. And then (laughs) you wouldn't understand. (laughs) <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh do you have any final thoughts no man this is fun i could, yeah. could easily go another like hour i feel like i mean i'd have to probably get something to drink though to like switch up the, the pace but yeah we could take pp breaks <laughs> <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be plenty of like gap like hold on gotta take a piss hold on gotta take a piss <laughs> oh you know speaking of pee breaks uh when we had we had mallerman on the first time he said something about that he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom and uh what the oh, fuck man, did right, I, say? Wait, wait. I wanna leave I wanna leave on like a good okay so only have had one scares that care experience obviously I've only been to one the first author con but yeah one of the first people I meet is Josh and Josh is just awesome and and, and chill as fuck he's great like, you know and we and Christoph and I rolled in really late on the first day like we just got stuck in traffic and all that driving down it was a whole it was a nightmare um but we get there and everyone's like winding down already on the first day but like uh i think christoph was like oh i gotta say hi to josh i'm like kind of intimidated like oh fuck the first person i'm gonna say hi to is josh mallerman because i also come from like i guess like 
I've been more in the, like previously to anybody home, I was, I guess, like more in like the New York literary scene and everyone's pretty kind of like, even when they're nice, there's a little bit of like a judgment thing to that. <laughs> Josh was the opposite. He's just like, Hey man, what's up? And he like, I commented on what he was wearing and he commented on what I was wearing. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to the bar. Like we're going to the bar now. Uh, and I'm like, fuck. Okay. I guess I'm going to the bar. And I remember just like fast forward to being at the bar where, you know, we uh, passed like scarfing some like burger or whatever. He starts ordering like, these crazy shots that just taste like sugary something. I don't know. They're like all like Mexican party shots or whatever. And uh, I remember like being like my, my like alcoholic tendencies, just like, cause uh, I know that like I lean heavy on the alcohol, like just like, I guess many of us do uh, it kicks in on the second shot. And I'm just like, I got to go to bed. Like if I stay <laughs> here and I keep, I keep going toe to toe with Josh Mallorn and Mallorman and S.A. Cosby and, and then I'm going to end up hung over on the first actual day of scares that care. And of course they, they were hung over the next day because they kept, he kept ordering shots for everybody and you no, know, well, like graciously ordering these like high octane, very flavorful shots. Um, and that was my first experience at Scares the Care and first interaction with Josh Mallerman. And it makes sense. Like, he seems like he's, he's a great, he's a great fucking dude and a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really, you know, I think I want to throw a punch someone's way that would disagree with that. He's just so nice. Like Sounds to everyone. Cool. Yeah. And I've and, heard that you don't go drink for drink with him. I'm glad I learned. I didn't have to learn that lesson. <laughs> You know, I got, I'm glad that like my own understanding of my like pretty high tolerance, but still like, yo, you got to function tomorrow uh, kicked in and um, I walked away from that. <laughs> You're here to sell books, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? No, Michael, I just want to thank you for your time. Appreciate you uh, hanging out with us tonight. And uh, the, the, the conversation, I know if I were in your shoes, I don't, I don't, I don't love the research portion of it as much. So I, I probably would be looking for to extend the conversation another two or three hours to, to get myself out of that. <laughs> yeah, man. No, thank you for having me. This is great. This is fun. Yeah. My final thoughts are we uh, can't wait until you come back. Uh, maybe we'll yeah. be on a panel. Maybe, maybe it'll be surprise guest host. Who the fuck knows with this show? Yeah. <laughs> just tell me what, tell me when we want to be back. I'll, I'll be here. Yeah. Sweet. Um, listeners, uh, viewers, next episode, episode 160 is with Clay McLeod Chapman. He's the author of the upcoming book, Ghost Eaters. Brian and I both read it, and uh, I'll speak for him. We fucking love it. Fair, fair to say that, uh, Brian? Don't speak for me ever. Oh, okay. I take it back. Fuck no, you, it's, it's an awesome book. Really, really cool. Scary <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, in all seriousness, it's the um, creepiest ghost story I've ever read. Oh, wait. I spoiled it with the ghost thing, didn't I? <laughs> no, it's not funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> listeners, as always, you have a podcast. Thank you for picking us. Yeah.